Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Russell Hawks Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Detroit, Michigan, where I'm here joining you live from the historic Guardian Building um, here in Detroit, which which Wikipedia is telling me is on the U.S. National Register of Historic Places. It is a U.S. National Historic Landmark. Um, most importantly, it is it is a facility that is open past my hotel's checkout time, so so I figured I would deliver to the listeners this lovely backdrop that, that pe- people watching video uh, are seeing now. But joining us today, Chris Golo is out of town, but joining us is Jesse Collins from Boston. How are you? Brandon, I don't think anyone's buying that this is the Guardian building. We all know that's your big penthouse uh, apartment. This is my hotel room, in fact. Uh, yeah, or your penthouse hotel that the, the people of Russellnomics are supporting with the uh, yeah. now that we're fully behind the paywall on patreon you can now afford uh that yeah. style of a hotel room no i see uh, the hotel i'm staying in is like two blocks away and checkout time is at 11 and that's when i do my podcast so i had to we we uh you know walked around detroit yesterday and, and walked into this place and i was like you know what i could probably do the podcast in here because this is open like all day and there's not that many people here um so here we are uh to talk about SummerSlam, the business of WWE SummerSlam, which happened in Detroit, Michigan yesterday. Uh, we'll talk about the latest from the WWE earnings calls. Earnings call, most importantly, the uh, subpoenaing and search warrant that has been executed on Vince McMahon, which was disclosed on Wednesday, uh, and a few other things. But we will talk first uh, as people join into the live stream here. Uh, what's been happening here, as I can show it, where's the button? Here it is. The Pac-12, the college conference, is uh, is disintegrating, I've heard. This is a follow-up of yesterday, and we'll tie this into maybe how it's related to wrestling in a moment. But uh, the Pac-12, uh, all their teams are leaving, except for four of them, I understand. This, so this news came out on Friday that um, – and this is from ESPN on Friday – and arguably the most historic day of conference realignment, Oregon, Washington – uh, Oregon and Washington finalized a move to join the Big Ten in 2024. And later on Friday night, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah announced that they were officially jumping to the Big 12, joining Colorado in a Pac-12 exodus. It leaves a conference that was formed in 1915 with just four teams on the verge of extinction. Um, so once again, these these numbers continue to mystify me that you call a conference Pac-12 now down to 12 teams. Um, I don't know if what it originally was. It was the Pac-8 for a really long time. Were they changing it of, with every uh, change in the number of teams? Right. At, and and then I was a, when I was kind of a, 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 when I was more of a kid, it was the Pac-10. Um, you know, when you, when USC was kind of at its peak, when Pete Carroll was at USC, it was kind of like the Pac-10. And then I believe they added Colorado 
in Utah, um, some point in like the late 2000s, and they upgraded to being the Pac-12. Um, but what this what this is is two things. The first is this was started because USC and UCLA really jumped, who are the two kind of biggest schools in the Pac-12 in terms of sports go. Um, maybe like Stanford is, is competitive with them, but specifically for football, USC is definitely like kind of the crown jewel. And UCLA is obviously a huge program in a multiple of sports. And they jumped to the Big Ten, which is basically jumping from one conference to a more lucrative like top tier conference. And as a reaction to that, that does not reflect the number of teams that are in that conference, correct? correct? Well, certainly not now. There's like 20, there's like 18, I think it's going to be 18 in the big 10. And that kind of created what what happens is USC and UCLA left. That kind of creates a um, sliding uh, doors kind of thing where these other schools like Washington and Arizona, which really don't have maybe any desire to leave the pack, 12 need to now find another conference because the big boys are le- have left. And that means your upcoming contract negotiations are not going to be as high because you lost the Los Angeles market, which is your biggest market by far in the, in the PAC 12 um, by losing those two major schools. And so they all, you know, flee to, 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 to greener pastures or really just looking for a life raft out of the sinking PAC 12. So you had some teams, were accepted to the Big Ten. Other ones have kind of had to settle for the Big 12. Um, the Big 12 itself has kind of seen an exodus of their major programs jumping to the SEC. Um, but they're kind of benefiting from the Pac-12 disintegrating. So they're going to be able to probably survive by adding some, you know, like Arizona and Arizona State um, programs, Utah. Um, so, but, but what this really is, is to, just as terms of like, what does this mean for wrestling? I think it tells us kind of two, teaches us two lessons. The first is this is all because of the value of cable television and television rights for broadcasting. The the rights are so high, um, and being a part of a like a conference like the Big Ten is so lucrative for some of these bigger schools that it is leading to the disintegration of a hundred years of tradition. Like you said, Brandon, the conference was founded over a hundand years ago. But that doesn't and, and mean really, this, this, this excerpt about what's happening with the TV deal. You can go on. But um, on Saturday, ESPN wrote uh, University of Washington President Anna Marie Cause, C-A-U-C-A. I'm probably pronouncing her name incorrectly. Uh, she said Saturday that the program's departure from the Pac-12. She is the University of Washington president uh, from the Pac-12 to the Big Ten alongside Oregon was not just about dollars and cents, but rooted in a myriad of factors. One being that the proposed TV rights deal between the Pac-12 and Apple, so they're talking to Apple about a TV deal, did not provide the long-term stability the school was seeking. She said, uh, when you have a deal that people are saying one of the best aspects of is that you can get out of it in two years, that tells you a lot. This was about national visibility for our players being on linear TV so they can be seen, so they could have the national exposure. It was about stability. It was about having a future that we could count on and build towards. So uh, I don't know if it's, I guess what she's saying there is, is maybe it's not just about money, but about, but about the length of the term and the fact that if you're on Apple TV, uh, when we see those Nielsen gauges, we don't see Apple TV even as one of the, the streamers that's big enough to get called out because it has more than 1% of the TV watched on. But that's it. Also comes down to money. Like you want visibility to get more money eventually. You want to grow your program by being on a bigger platform. And the reality is, in terms of college sports right now, it's really the Big Ten and the SEC. It's going to be those two super conferences. They're absorbing the biggest programs. The secondary programs can fall into secondary conferences. 
Um, but it's changing everything and it's the value of, it's because of the value of live TV rights. That's ultimately what it comes down to. And this is a money business, despite claiming to be an amateur one. Um, and the other aspect of it is something that we've heard a lot discussed in terms of like wrestling and you know, potential AEW television deal is because the value of the, your major sports rights are so high. We're talking about the upcoming NBA deal. Um, the NFL is obviously just a ridiculously valuable television entity. Um, the there's the idea that because these the major ones have become so expensive, the spending that's going to get cut back is going to be on your tier two or tier three kind of sports TV rights, um, and that's what we're kind of seeing with some of these schools were alarmed that the Pac-12 was not was going to get cut out of the biggest TV deals. You know, a lot of it is because they're a West Coast prime by their nature they're a West Coast primetime kind of conference, um, and. So when you do something like that, uh, you're going to get priced out. We talked about like, you know, is AW like, is AW going to get a giant TV deal because, you know, AW is a tier two or maybe even a tier three sports entity. They're not the NFL. They're not the NBA. They're not WWE. Um, is there going to be money for AEW to get paid? Um, and the PAC 12 kind of finds itself in a, found itself in a similar vote boat where, okay, Networks are going to have to spend on the Big Ten. Networks are going to have to spend on the SEC. Networks are going to have to spend on the NFL. The NBA rights are coming up. Everyone wants a piece of the NBA. Um, these other things that are swirling around. And it, some of these schools are like, you know what? I don't think the Pac-12 is going to get paid. We need to find a way that we're going to get paid. And that's uh, jumping uh, to the Big Ten. If we were to try to analogize this to wrestling, I guess it would be like if you had only you know 10 wrestlers and that was your entire roster and somehow you were able to produce a weekly tv show that was totally fine with having 10 wrestlers and and some of them are pretty big stars and some of them are in the middle but but then like you know all but four of them leave what do you have left is that a, is that a decent analogy yeah I mean, someone it. in the someone in the chat Sydney hickenbottom says conference consolidation has major death of the territories vibes yes. and it does it is like you know these are you know, USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 is, you know, Hulk Hogan and, and Mean Gene and Bobby Heenan leaving the AWA to go to the WWF to draw a comparison in terms. But what I think this really is, this is a story about television rights and it's a story about um, there not being enough money to, to pay all of the, uh, the players what they want in terms of the entities that are trying to get paid for their television rights. And that has led to it's leaving it's leading to conference consolidation because this is about money okay uh and since it is the first sunday of the month just want to remind everybody that this obviously if you're watching this you probably know that this episode is out there for free for everybody uh this sunday and uh this is usually a subscriber only podcast uh for subscribers at patreon.com slash wrestlenomics you get the podcast every sunday along with tv ratings reports that come out with every episode for major WB and AEW TV shows, uh, news updates that I write, you'd access to the giant spreadsheet with all the TV ratings data in it and the monthly reports that I'll be putting out early this month uh, on things like YouTube uh, merchandise, Google Trends, match counts, and you get access to the slides that we're going through as well. Uh, earlier last week, I did a podcast with John Pollock of Post Wrestling, Pollock and Thurston. We did the WWE Q2 2023 earnings report where we talked uh, in depth about all the results coming out of the earnings call on Wednesday. Uh, we will be talking to David Bixenspan this coming Wednesday is the plan, uh, talking to him about the Dark Side of the Ring series and talking to him. I th- I'm going to ask him about WrestleMania 3 too. 
we're gonna get to the bottom of this maybe probably not uh so that look for that coming up on wednesday uh that is free for everybody so we um I guess I can tell everybody on Detroit. And by the way, too, if you want to submit a super chat, uh, you're welcome to do so. We will accept your your question and respond to your question or comment on the air before the end of the program here. Uh, so we are here uh, for SummerSlam weekend in Detroit. Uh, I will say that walking around downtown, which is where my hotel was, tons and tons of wrestling shirts everywhere. Lots of black T-shirts that you can see from afar. Um, the percentage of people who I saw who did not have wrestling shirts was lower than the percentage of people that I saw with wrestling shirts. Now, I didn't take a spreadsheet to this and, and count it out uh, carefully and precisely. That's that's just a guess, but just a, a ton of people in town, apparently, uh, for this show. Um, and I want to go back to uh, the press release that was put out when this uh, show was announced. This is back in February of this year, February 7th, 2023, when WB and, and the city of Detroit announced that SummerSlam is coming to Ford Field. Uh, and I want to read this specific quote. This is from one uh, DSC Detroit Sports Commission Executive Director David Bachnow. I might be uh, pronouncing his name incorrectly. So he's the director of the Detroit Sports Commission. He said, landing WB SummerSlam at Ford Field is a signature win for Detroit and continues the momentum of the Detroit Sports Commission in attracting major sporting events to the region. Metro Detroit enjoys a special place in WWE history and has produced many iconic moments. Thank you to the entire WWE family, yada, yada. Okay, it will be a great experience. So my, my, my strong takeaway from that is that this was a bidding process. This was another case of a site fee being attracted uh, by WWE so to, uh, you know, put cities uh, to, to put in bids and to try to get this big event, which um, clearly drew a lot of people to travel in here. Um, I think it's really remarkable that there was, I think I have, I have photos here that I'm going to go through, don't I? Um, let's see here. Yeah, here we go. Uh, if I put this up on the screen, there was a lot of signage around town. You know, when we got into town, you definitely saw right away that there's little signs on the flagpoles, you know, on the light poles and stuff. And, and that's, you know, something that's pretty normal, I think, for at least for the big events, right? But we also saw, you know, uh, Roman Reigns and, and Jey Uso's giant faces, in, uh, you know, plastered on the side of, of a fairly tight, tall building. Um, and there was, you know, stuff on the ground saying, go to the, the W SummerSlam Superstore. Uh, there was this merchandise store that at times there was a line almost completely around the block for people to get into this uh, merchandise store. Uh, I did walk inside of it. And it was, you know, I don't know what's there normally, but it was, you know, a little shop that was, you know, the size of, I don't know, a few, a few bedrooms, I would say, maybe like four or five bedrooms. It was, it was fairly big. It wasn't giant, but they were selling merchandise. And it was, you know, when I was in it, it was full of people. And there was a line for people to get in it at times this weekend. So they clearly, clearly, cooperated with the city to some extent with the marketing of this. I, I imagine there was some cooperation with this uh, store. So it'll be interesting to see what they announce. I'm sure there'll be a press release. I expect that, you know, early next week about, I'm sure they're going to say they broke all sorts of merchandise records here and I, they must've sold a lot of money, uh, sold a lot of merchandise and made a lot of money doing so. So uh, public records requests may, uh, may enlighten us later on that. So, that's uh, an, another case of WWE furthering its strategy. I guess we we would have known about this for since February, but but another case of WWE wanting to make every event, all twelve. We'll see if they can really do it. But the biggest ones are are doing it already to make these events that cities, municipalities bid for, 
and they pay money to WWE just to get the event in town before any tickets are sold, any merchandise is sold. WWE already making money. So, uh, what else happened here? This is the view from my hotel room. Uh, this is the the GM plant. The, not the GM plant. I always want to say the GM plant. The the GM headquarters uh, was right outside my hotel, which was looked like a SimCity building. Um, estimated tickets distributed for this event, uh, according to WrestleTix, on its final count, fifty one thousand four hundred and seventy seven. So over fifty one thousand tickets distributed. Last year's SummerSlam, forty thousand one hundred and seventeen. So that's a difference of roughly 11,000. Uh, last year was in Nashville at Nissan Stadium. This year at Ford Field, they announced 59,000. I think that includes a lot of people who were not uh, who were, did not have tickets. So if you, uh, I, I did the math, sort of looking at like, well, if Royal Rumble and SummerSlam this year had similar average ticket prices, that's about $165 a ticket. It gets up to about, uh, if you knock off about 10% off this distributed number and assume that's roughly what they did for paid, which would be something like 46000 paid, you know, multiply that by $165 per average sold ticket, and you get to about $7.5 million. Uh, Paul Levesque said on the press conference that this was the highest grossing non-WrestleMania, I believe he said PLE, but I think any, any event would do, um, uh, highest high skate for something that wasn't a WrestleMania in WWE history. I'm sure that's not including inflation, uh, but that's so that would indicate that it was higher than Royal Rumble, which I think the paid paid attendance is, is in the same ballpark. But what do you think about this, Jesse? You, you were talking last week about is this? I think you were a little, you know, not not as impressed as you could be with this number, but here we are, about eleven thousand higher than last week than last year. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think. <sighs> It's obviously like a 50, 51,000 fans or tickets distributed. Um, obviously huge success. Um, I guess I'm thinking like to scale of last year's event. Um, it was about, it's, yeah, I would say, I mean, it's obviously a huge success. There's no other way of looking at it, especially when you think of we're only a few years into SummerSlam being a stadium event. Like even when WWE was hot, you know, you can go back to the Attitude Era. SummerSlam was not a stadium event. It was really that one Wembley Stadium show in 1992 and it never was again. So you just think of how much more revenue is coming from SummerSlam. Um, obviously, the, the whole pay-per-view buy-sell dynamic, but the, as a live event, not only are you getting a way larger house, um, but you're what you seem to believe, Brent, is they're being incentivized. They're getting a site fee to run here. Um, which I'm yeah. sure. I, I mean, just based on that quote, just based on the Detroit Sports Commissioner being quoted and saying, "We've look, look at us, we've made an achievement by attracting SummerSlam to our city." There must have been some sort of bidding process, and clearly they were participating in the marketing. Mm, and facilitating yeah, I wouldn't, the necess- here. I wouldn't necessarily say that. I would say that he's using an opportunity for a press release to to talk about how Detroit is a such a good market that WWE wants to come here. I don't think that necessarily. And if nothing else, I would say there's an in kind contribution of value in the marketing that they put around the city and in yeah. providing them with the merchandise shop. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm going to make a records request and we'll see if we can learn anything else. Yeah. Who owns, who owns Fort field? Do you know? Uh, the Lions. That's the Fort fit. The Fort Detroit family. Lions. So yeah. Yeah. That's the Fort. Does, does the Fort family own wines? Yeah. Okay. okay. Mary Ford Bridgestone, the owner of the uh, family. I'm a last NFL fan. It might be Mary Bridgestone Ford, but it's definitely Bridgestone and Ford is her last name. Um, but and she's so, related uh, to Henry Ford. Yes. Wow. Okay. Um, the um, so Nikon during the media call 
I think mentioned for, or, or during the earnings report, uh, mentioned 43,000 tickets sold, uh, on Thursday. Um, and that's realistic. So, I think. And yeah. yeah. And they, uh, they announced 59,000 fans on the show last night. So it must've been a pretty big walk up, uh, to go from 43 to 59,000, well, uh, 59,000 heartbeats, including talent and, and yeah. crew and staff and people in boxes that might, might not be in. I was in the press boxes. box. I can verify this time that the press box did have a lot of people in it. I didn't look closely at the suites, but I'm sure there were people to some extent in the suites. Does that count? I don't know. Yeah. In, 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 Does that count know, as Nikon far as paid ticket goers? I yeah. Mean. And Nikon mentioned, you know, we're going to sell out, which what is a sellout in uh, yeah. you know, a four field? There. What is an attendance, Jesse? What is an attendance? Yeah. I think we, we're going to have well, have a ontological conversation soon. Uh, maybe, they somehow like, got 20,000 like, months. They somehow got twenty thousand more people uh, in a uh, Ford Field, uh, you know, for WrestleMania twenty three. So I don't know what happened there to to make this one a sellout, but obviously a huge success, huge gate. Um, you know, Detroit is a really it's been a consistently great wrestling market um, for WWE. AEW when they've gone to Detroit have drawn some of their largest houses. It's a great wrestling market, and I do think for a major event like SummerSlam in the summertime in August. Uh, Really, you know, it's it's very centrally located. You can get to it from a lot of different other uh, major metro markets like Chicago, like Toronto, Buffalo, obviously, Brandon, you know, Cleveland. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very good market for those cases. And it, that means it's probably good for the city in the end. They're going to get more people driving and staying at hotels and things like that because uh, its proximity to other major metros is, is high. Okay. Um, so we'll jump to the, from there to the press conference. Um press conference uh had some comments from let's see cody rhodes eo sky not in that order la knight paul Heyman, uh and paul Levesque. am i leaving anybody out here because I, I, I took paper notes for this let's see here um i think that's everyone yes um as, as usual for our, for our interests not a not a ton of newsworthy stuff coming out of here i mean dakota kai confirmed that she's not fully cleared to wrestle but um bill after was there and uh got got uh you know he had some uh jovial conversation with triple h um at one point uh cody rhodes brought tommy who is i believe his name is tommy cullen who's a producer for wwe and he you know sort of gave him credit for uh for things that he does with cody and with wwe um Triple H said that there was 150 media there. Um, I, I can say when we were brought down to the media room, I was with John Pollock and and you know several other people. And I, I guess I didn't realize that they brought a lot of other people down to the press room first. And, and like we were being led there, and I felt like there's you know there's like 12 people here. I'm like this is it. This is gonna be it. And then we got in the room, and it was already full of people. So there were, the, the room was full with I would say maybe 50 people in that room. And and not not everyone who was credentialed was. Um, was given access to the press conference. It was a whole, whole process. Um, it would depend on what your, yeah, I think it would depend on what your definition of media is, too. In what way? I feel like some of the people that are there, I would classify more as social media influencers than okay. like wrestling media. They, they, they were uh, referred to as media. Um, he, he thinks Detroit. I uh, didn't think the Tigers and Lions, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but that would be consistent with the notion that this was a slight fee. He called it the highest gross, which we mentioned already. Um, 
He said they were being more announced next week, so I expect a press release early early this month. He said it looks like they set a record uh, for SummerSlam for Peacock. Keep in mind that that there's almost double the amount of Peacock subscribers at this time than there was a year ago, so they're benefiting from that, not necessarily to take away from the notion that WWE is more popular, at least in the U.S., and is certainly SmackDown, and, and in the demo Raw, and in the demo NXT Everything is up year over year when it comes to TV ratings. Um, but Peacock viewership, I'm sure, is being helped by the increase in subscribers, people who have access to Peacock. Um, I asked him about uh, Vince McMahon and whether, you know, can you tell us what, what Vince McMahon has been contributing lately to creative? Um, will his, his recovery from his surgery impact his ability to contribute to creative? Um, he sort of uh, Triple H responded saying that he didn't want to. I think I have the whole thing. He said, if, if I'm a, a guessing man, I've seen Vince McMahon come back from some remarkable things way faster than anybody else I've ever seen do it. He still brags that he can't, he was back quicker from two quad tears at the same time than I was from one. So how long that is, I don't know. As far as contributions, I would say this. The reason WWE is what it is, the reason this business, not just WWE, because you can make the argument a very valid one, that without Vince and his vision for this business – Maybe it wouldn't be here anymore, right? There were some things at the time, back in the day, that were very popular. Roller derby, things like that, that just disappeared off the face of the planet. I can remember watching that on TV right after wrestling and thinking it's kind of similar. It's kind of a similar thing, but gone, never to be seen again. The vision of what he's talking about, Vince, did change the business, changed it all for 50 years. Incredible run of success, no matter, uh, no greater mind in the business. In this point in time, if all of us didn't look at moments in time for counsel from him on thoughts or ideas, or if we have a question to go to him and ask, we'd be silly not to. It's sitting next to somebody that knows more about this business or has forgotten more about this business than you'll ever know, maybe, right? And to not utilize that in some respect. Uh, But is he day-to-day? No. Is he in it all the time? No. If anybody has, uh, he's earned the right to be able to do that. Um, I, I, I guess part of what I was trying to get at there is, is, is it right to think that since Vince McMahon had spinal surgery, which is confirmed by Vince, by, by Nick Khan on the Wednesday earnings call, he's recovering from spinal surgery and he's on medical leave. Um, is it right to think that because he's on medical leave that he will not be involved in creative or whatever his other duties are, uh, during his medical leave, given that Vince, Vince's reputation is of a worker who never stops working. Um, but he, here, he, here at least we have Paul Vex saying, is he day-to-day? No. Is he in it all the time? Creative? No. Uh, do you believe this? That he is, at least up until his medical leave, maybe that's a, a different situation, not, not that involved in WWE's creative process, but certainly lending advice and counsel. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been pretty consistent with what he said, which is that Vince is not running creative the way that he used to um, but acknowledges that he has some influence on it and, you know, puts over Vince with a very generous uh, summarization of his influence on professional wrestling uh, and saying, of course, yeah, Vince, you know, we'd always, I'm always, you know, he was very open about that. Even when Vince was, uh, you know, had resigned from the company in scandal saying that like, yeah, I talked to Vince and that Vince has, you know, advice and things like that, because why wouldn't you? He's Vince McMahon. So I think that's, he's been pretty consistent in saying that. Um, 
I, I and we know Vince has influenced the product in certain ways. We know that he's been backstage. We know that he's worn a headset. We've known that he has probably played a role in some key creative decisions. Um, According to reports, so it sounded like he was very involved the night after WrestleMania at Raw, which right. he was there in person for. Right. So he's he's clearly influencing the product. Like as far as like he's he's on medical leave, so he doesn't have any real official capacity at the moment. But like, what do we think Vince is doing right now? Like he's not like Woodrow Wilson after he had a stroke. Like he's not lying, you know, catonic, just like staring at a wall. I don't think like he's, yeah, he's maybe physically in uh you know, a very, you know, vulnerable state in a sense, but he's probably watching the product. He's probably thinking about it all the time and he's probably communicating about it. I would assume now that we're what a, a few weeks removed from his, his spinal surgery. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, at least- if, if his role is, is as triple H indicates it is somebody who gives advice and counsel, I mean, that sounds like talking on the phone. What's to keep yeah. him from doing that while he's, like, let's say, in bed, you know, recovering from a, a serious surgery? Yeah, because he's not doing anything else. Like, he's probably bored, right? Uh, I would imagine he is thinking about work and thinking about, um, you know, WWE. I'm sure he is communicating. Like, unless he is just, like, on so many pain meds right now that he, you know, can't communicate, I'm sure he is uh, focused on the product, Um that's what I believe. I mean, yes. Um, I will say this. So this is the f- first press conference for WWE that I was at. And then I was at the whole time. The, the one in Montreal that I was at, I popped in, I would say in the last quarter or so. Um, it was clear to me that there, there's a difference here. There's many differences between this and an AW press conference. But one of them is that it, it looked like people were being picked ahead of time before they had raised their hands to, to ask a question. And then this is consistent with what my experience was in Montreal, where I had not even raised my hand yet. And somebody handed me the microphone or told me that I was next. Um, and I believe, I want to say, you know, when, when I was given the microphone to um, to ask a question last night, somebody came up, uh, you know, uh, someone who was with WWE came up behind me and said, do you want to ask a question? I said, yes. And they handed me the microphone. I don't think that was in response to, to me raising my hand. And it seemed like at least on some of these, on some of these occasions, that's not the case. On some of these occasions, it was clear that hands were going up and somebody was, pointing but on a lot of these occasions it looked like people were being picked out of time including apparently me um so something to know um more on this yes you, oh, go you ahead. said there was like you said but you thought there was like 50 people in that room roughly something like that so how many people do you think asked a question not everyone and i don't think anybody asked two questions yeah like, i was there's... sitting next to, to pollock he didn't ask any questions yeah how many questions does Triple H take in total? Like a half dozen? Four or five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that's um, a major difference from – Oh, yes, it is. Probably less media in attendance, but you get to ask Tony Khan yeah. many questions. Slightly less. I would say that these rooms have been pretty full when I've been in them lately. You know, even when I'm like looking around and like where they where, – where AWS seated – you know, media and I will look around and say, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll just be, you know, 10 of us there. And you get in there and it's like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to go off memory, but it's – couple dozen i would say something like that who are in, in the rooms at AEW. It seemed like um, from what i could tell all the stars were there all the the, the regular wrestling media people were there uh sean ross Sapp was there i finally met sean ross Sapp in person for the first time in the elevator got to see how tall he was um i didn't get a, get a chance to say hi to nick Hausman, but i did see that he was there um yeah, i saw a lot of the back of nick Hausman's head because uh, i was i don't think he got through, the uh, question, i think sean's it? I think I, I don't know. I was going through Sean's, you know, tw- recap on Twitter. I don't think Sean asked a question it, either. Yeah, 
and he's just like he's seeing he's taking photos and like nick was sitting in front of him so it's like oh that's definitely the back of nick's head in every single one of these photos so i knew yes. he was there yes. um yeah I'm, I'm like the people that i saw ask questions was like um bill pritchard of uh yes connor casey from connor comic casey book. of comic book um bill after after coming yes. where does that i don't know where after lives but he was he was uh he's from new york made, right yeah he made the trip out to the after mags he was there to uh i think he's representing sports keto i think that's his, his representation oh, of, is it? Yeah. at least yeah. one of them one um, of them yeah so there was uh a lot yeah i mean there was the people there i mean like i said we don't think we especially the talent ones we don't really learn anything because the especially because the performers are in talent, which is a growing problem in AEW's press conferences as well, with the exception of a few of the performers. Um, yeah. Paul, you know, Paul Heyman was there doing total shtick. Um, it was compelling. It was, I mean, I mean, people would say like you could listen to Paul Heyman recite the telephone book and it would be entertaining. Um, I think there are, you know, he's, he's speaking within a kayfabe context, but but probably honing in on his, his real beliefs and arguments as far as him, him presenting. And I know he's doing a sales pitch here, but presenting Roman Reigns as having changed, cha- changed wrestling on its axis, just like uh, Edward Norton would say of Marlon Brando and that whole thing you can watch for yourself. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't get the sense that we're on the verge of, of things changing with these press conferences in terms of them becoming, you know, what our ideal of it would be is with, with all these serious questions about the business and about things that would be more newsworthy, I guess. I think it's going to continue to be basically what it is and that a semi-kayfabe thing where the talent are going to not always, but for the most part, uh, answer things within the storyline universe of, of what they're talking about. Um, Triple H did, did, you know, break a little bit of news in terms of saying, and outside of a storyline, saying that the the moment at the end of the Cody Rosen Brock Lesnar match where Brock Lesnar extended his hand and shook hands and raised, raised Cody's hand that that was not planned. So got that tidbit. What was your experience as like a, a lot as a live attendee of the event itself? Um, crowd was very hot early. Um, Logan Paul and Ricochet was, was very good. Um, it was 18 minutes, maybe a little long, but, uh, it was very good. Um, I'm looking through my notes here. Lesnar and Cody. Cody was very over. Uh, good match. Uh, LA Knight, super over. I know other, others have pointed out, you know, you, you hear the Yaz now as as a thing that wrestling fans are just shouting like they like they do for the Woo and for the yeah, New Day like Rocks clap. Now. It's LA Knight, super over. Uh, won the Battle Royal. Um, Shannon Baszler and Ronda Rousey. Uh, MMA rules match. Crowd. Uh, interesting Interesting response here, right? Uh, crowd hated the match, but was I, I felt was on the verge of really getting hostile towards it. Uh, they didn't, you know. They, I, I think the sense is, you know, they, they saw it as a very boring match. They were there to see a pro wrestling show and saw, you know, a, a style of wrestling that they didn't understand or they were not primed to understand. And they were doing weird things like doing a ten count in, a, in an MMA rules match, which, which has never been the rules in an MMA fight. Um, People did not buy into the match at all. And kind I think of a historical issue. I feel like anytime these matches have been attempted, these kind of like mixed MMA wrestling matches is that the crowd is there to see wrestling and they get annoyed when they suddenly start doing like a UWFI match. Like uh, TNA used to experiment with this because they'd bring in a lot of like UFC guys. Like there was a, was it AJ? It was AJ Styles versus I think Randy Couture. Is that right? Mm-hmm. I might have the wrong MMA guy, but it was, um, but yeah, they would like they do a match and they're doing like, you know, 
a, like a, a mock UFC fight, essentially, and wrestling Frank fans Trigg, I think, is who you want. Was it Frank, Frank Trigg? Yeah. Frank Trigg, I think, yeah. And didn't Tito Ortiz uh, do a match? And Quentin Jackson, maybe? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those guys. Yeah. Um, King Mo, like, all these people have, 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 have done it. But it's, like, at least, like, when, like, um, you know, like, Logan Ball is a boxer, obviously. Um, but even, like, like when they had Cain Velasquez, like, those guys did, like, wrestling matches. They did wrestling moves. And Ronda, for the most part, has done wrestling matches and wrestling moves. But if people wanted to see an MMA fight, they would probably be watching MMA. Uh, and it's kind of like a historical thing, but they still always dabble with the, oh, where they're going to have like this fake shoot fight thing. And it never really works. Um, it worked for, you know, um, Akira Maeda and like nobody else. And Volkan and Kyoshi Tamura. Um, but I, I, part of the problem uh, that, that others have already pointed out, right, is that these are both heels. Um, the crowd isn't bought into either of them as, as a face. People have, you know, un- unfriendly feelings, I think, towards Ronda Rousey, who's, who appears to be going on a hiatus from WWE. Um, and I think it was it was interesting to think about, you know, if, if the same presentation was brought to a WWE crowd, say, five years ago, I think there would have been a much more hostile reaction. Not that this was friendly at all. Uh, there were there were scattered, boring chants, but nothing really sustained, you know, um, yeah, when there'd be no a, beach a, balls, no, no, uh, no, no beach balls, which which were were on the the prohibited items list on the Ford Field uh, WWE SummerSlam thing, um, but it's it's consistent, right? With I think what we've seen since the return to touring after the pandemic, that the you know people you know the if you if you give people a product that they don't want, they don't like, they're going to react negatively to it. But it's not as hostile as as it once was. And we can come up with theories why that is, and maybe AEW's existence as a, as an alternative is part of it. Um, maybe the crowd sweetening that they do now since the return to touring or since COVID uh, is a part of it. But it's it's definitely a difference. I was at SummerSlam in 2016, um, and I I want to say there was some of that. It was it's you know it's it's clearly a, a descendant of of that audience, but there there are some differences. They're not willing to get as hostile anymore. It seems well, the fans have a much more positive relationship with the company, and the company has a much more positive relationship with its fans. And I think that dates back to Triple H formally taking over for Music Man and instituting enough uh, changes and enough stuff for fans who were optimistic about the product to latch onto it. And they did things like they've gotten organically behind La Knight, and they pushed out, they put La Knight over. If they had Omos throw LA Knight out of the ring unceremoniously, then I think the crowd would have been all started to get a little more hostile. But because they yes. do, they don't do that nearly as much anymore. The fans are much more forgiving for I think stuff that maybe doesn't come off super well, as opposed to in the past they'd be immediately fed up and you'd see a lot more I think aggravation and frustration from the fan base. Yeah, and then I would say you know from that point the crowd was not maybe not quite as hot as it was. And this, this show went, you know, the show started at eight and ended after midnight. This was a long show. I think it was similar to the length in the Royal rumble, but I think the, maybe the Royal rumble helps the audience sustain itself a little bit more because of the nature of those long Royal rumble matches and all the, the, the talent that come out one after another. Um, but yeah, the crowd was tired by the end of this 35 minute, Roman Reigns versus Jay Uso match. And that's just the match factor in the, uh, <laughs> yes. the entrances. Yes. Yeah. I, I saw somewhere I was out there. I think there was 115 minutes of non-wrestling on this show between video recaps and entrances and pre and post match stuff. And that's, that's a lot. That's almost two hours, like a full movie's worth of non-wrestling. I'd be interested in seeing how that stacks up with like 
certainly like AEW pay-per-views and new, major New Japan events of similar length, um, but also even past WWE shows, because that seems like a lot. Um, and yeah, maybe well, that helps the fans catch their breath in some way, but it does, you know, you start, exp- you know, getting there. It's, it's past midnight and you're supposed to be peaking for the main event. And uh, yeah. the crowd it was, a, was, it was a problem with hot the- for the finish of the main event. Of the main event. And I think that's, it, it's, it's almost a tragedy, I think, that I went to Forbidden Door and Kazuko Okada versus Brian Danielson was performed in front of a really tired crowd. <laughs> like, why? I, 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 I don't know how that's ever going to change, though, until, you know, I, as we said before, I think I'm in favor of, uh, of federal law that limits pro wrestling shows to two and a half hours maximum. But I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. Um, no, um, I think uh, I, also, I also think, like, as a subjective opinion here, the, the, the style of these Roman Reigns main event matches, um, because they've become so formulaic, Fans know that nothing matters until the ref bump or Solo Sokoa runs down or the shenanigans begin. Um, so when you have like 20 minutes of like a kind of a regular wrestling match, the fans kind of have been taught to not really be interested in that at all because nothing that happens in it seems to have any consequence towards the finish. Once you know, someone runs down or there's a ref bump, you start seeing the fans pick up because they know that's the time that they're going to need to pay attention. And that's kind of true for most major wrestling matches. Most people expect the main event to go long, so they're not always invested in it in the first few minutes. But because the matches are uh, are so formulaic with these, you know, interference-laden finishes and turns and things like that, fans really know when the signs are to start paying attention. And I think that leads to kind of a... A crowd that it's not that they weren't invested in the match because by the end they certainly were, but they kind of know that they don't have to be invested in it for the entire time. And that doesn't necessarily lead to a particularly compelling product. Um, also like this heel, like the dirty secret is like this heel Roman character is not a compelling in-ring performer. He was a much better, more interesting wrestler. I think when he was a babyface, even if uh, in, in the ring, obviously it's much more better for him as a star to be a heel, but I don't know if it's injuries or or just his preferred wrestling style, but he basically does nothing interesting ever, like as an in-ring guy. Um, and it leads to a lot of, especially like these, you know, control periods and these 20-minute pre, uh, you know, climax uh, work in these matches to be pretty boring for me. You'll, you'll have to take that up with Paul Heyman because he says Roman Reigns has, has changed the game. Um, I Well, I do think that, like, this is influencing wrestling and certainly influencing WWE and like the future of what they think. I think they want their in ring peak performance to be, which is these pseudo cinematic mid match promo, you know, very dramatic, make a lot of faces cry. If you can kind of style matches. If you look at NXT, uh, what's going on at NXT, that seems to be what they're focusing a lot with their performers. Um, so I do think that this is heavily influencing at least what WWE wants to do. Uh, internally, and that will probably end up influencing other wrestling promotions as well. I so I don't think he's maybe it's influencing what's happening with MJF and, and Adam Cole. And yeah, like I think the whole Adam Cole turning around and MJF with a title, and Adam Cole will be like, "Do it, Max. You know you want to." Like that was, I don't know if that is necessarily an angle that has been originated by the Bloodline and, and Roman Reigns in this kind of character, but it is something that would have fit very well into what they're doing now, and okay. it's working for AEW. So yeah. okay. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In, in, in other WWE news, Vince McMahon news, uh, part of what was disclosed on Wednesday at the earnings call, uh, in, in the 10Q, which is a big, long SEC filing, over 100 pages, I think, uh, they, they have all these sections that they – republish all the time and what's been in in uh in the 10q which they update every quarter uh is has been things that disclose that hey you know we started an investigation on june 15 2022 to investigate the allegations of misconduct uh allegedly by Vince McMahon, so on and so forth there are uh, not only investigation but there are government investigations uh, that remain ongoing but they added a new paragraph to this section of their filings uh on Wednesday, which says on July 17th, 2023, so just a couple weeks earlier, federal law enforcement agents executed a search warrant and served a federal grand jury subpoena on Mr. McMahon. No charges have been brought in these investigations. Um, I don't know what kind of agents here or what kind of government, federal government entity we're talking about here. The SEC could be what, what they're referring to. I wonder if the FBI uh executed a search warrant on, on him or on his property or something like that. Um, but I, I, what this seems to be related to is Vince spending money out of his personal money uh, to pay for things, including NDAs to silence women who uh, were allegedly victims of sexual misconduct from him and from John Laurinaitis, uh, which, you know, under apparently SEC rules should have been recorded as company expenses as well as, the money that he paid to the Trump Foundation out of his personal finances should have been recorded as company expenses because they benefited the company. Um, that, you know, not just the, the sexual misconduct part of this, but the financial improprieties uh, are, are what what is really putting pressure on, on the, the Vince scandal that happened a year, a year ago. So some sort of continued investigation here. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. With, um, you know, Triple H, uh, executive in WWE and a member of the board of directors, um, doing a press conference last night, surely somebody asked him about Vince's, you know, being subpoenaed by the uh, federal, this federal investigation. Uh, on Q&A uh, on Wednesday, Nick was asked about this. And when, when he was asked about this, about this by a stock analyst, I was not even aware that this was in the filing yet because the filing had only been out for about one hour uh, at that point. And Nick's response was, we, quote, we continue to fully cooperate with any investigation outside of that. We're not going to comment on any legal matter. Um, I would think if anybody asked Triple H about it, he would have said something very similar. Um, and uh, Did I mean, someone ask Triple H about it? They did not. Um, Drat. Can't believe it. And a message was sent to W staff. Uh, with comments from Vince and an official comment from WWE. I think this was sent to some press outlets too, but I got it from people who work for WWE. Uh, and Vince's comment is, 
In 2022, WWE formed a special committee to review allegations of misconduct against me. That review was concluded in November 2022. Following an extensive investigation throughout this experience, I've always denied any intentional wrongdoing and continue to do so. I am confident that the government's investigation will be resolved without any findings of wrongdoing. I am focused on completing the recovery process for my recent spinal surgery and on closing our transaction with Endeavor, which will create one of the preeminent global sports and entertainment brands. End of comment. Um, W also added a comment on this overall message saying, quote, we believe this is a continuation of the investigation that commenced last summer. WWE has cooperated throughout and fully understands and respects the government's need for a complete process. So, uh, yeah. And, and what They're are we, cooperating. Yeah. And, and while it sounds kind of like super scandalous in the sense of, oh, Vince is being investigated by the feds. Um, this seems kind of, I don't want to say typical, but kind of just in line with what this investigation has done up. And, you know, Vince has been at least pub- they've been publicly fairly open about this is what we did. Vince is reimbursing the company for his expenses. This was not concealed and it was a mistake to, not, to have it concealed. But at, at the end of the day, this just seems like another step into kind of rectifying Vince's absence from the company earlier, uh, Vince's absence in the company last year and kind of by paying the money back and kind of going forward with this, through this investigation, we're going to eventually come out the other side of this and Vince is going to be back and more powerful than ever, which he basically is right now. I would need to talk to a lawyer who knows more about this kind of law than I do to get into how much legal liability is there for, for Vince personally based on the financial improprieties that you know, that have happened here in terms of him using personal finances, not reporting it, uh, which should have been a, a company expense. How much legal liability and, is there for him there? I don't know. And, and, and would that impact his ability to be an executive in, you know, the post-merger company? Um, we know he has, you know, all of the power, the way WWE is previously and currently constituted uh, and constructed, but um, once, you know, the merger happens and Vince's, I forget what his official title is with, um, executive chairman. Yeah. Of WWE. Um, yes. He will be the executive chairman of TKO. Yeah. If there's a lot of legal liability there or not, um, it would seem like there wouldn't be, otherwise the merger wouldn't have been announced. And, and you would uh, think Endeavor and WWE have access to enough lawyers who would, uh, Give, give them advice that would understand mm-hmm. what's happening there. And, and they're going forward with the message that he's going to be the executive chairman. And, and Ari Emanuel has said publicly on CNBC that he wanted Vince to be part of the merger. He didn't want him to not be included. He absolutely wanted him to be included. He had to convince him. Vince, he had to convince Vince McMahon to, to, to be in control of his company. But the question, as I recall, is from the CNBC interviewer is, did he have to convince you? Uh, not so much. So, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, what else here? Uh, just just to put this in a, in a little bit more context, if you go back to the Wall Street Journal's reporting, which remember the Wall Street Journal broke much of this news uh, over a year ago around the scandal uh, surrounding Vince. Uh, one thing that they also reported in July, uh, July 25th, 2022, over a year ago, uh, they wrote, the Securities and Exchange Commission and federal prosecutors have launched inquiries into payments made by Mr. McMahon to sell allegations of sexual misconduct. Uh, the people familiar with the matter said, WWE said Monday, which was July 25th, 2022, that it has received, quote, regulatory, investigative, and enforcement inquiries, subpoenas, or demands 
end quote, in connection with millions of dollars in hush money packs. So that, that's what the Wall Street Journal reported. Um, and the quote that they're using there is from a WB filing. So this is something that W had disclosed that there were some sort of regular regulatory investigate investigations and enforcement inquiries, whatever that means, subpoenas and demands. Um, the, the government entity that is named there is Securities and Exchange Commission. So I think this is some sort of, you know, shareholder fraud investigation or something like that. Um, yeah. And Nick, Nick uh, confirmed on the call that he is on medical leave. So, which led to, to my, my question last night. Uh, how involved will he really be? We discussed that. Um, okay. So, once again, if you want to submit a super chat, we will uh, answer your question or comment uh, before the end of the program here. So, we'll move on from the world of WWE for now to the world of all elite wrestling. Jesse, are, are you a collider? Or, or are you a dynamo? Is dynamo the word that they're using for it? Uh, my favorite. Uh, uh, can we use uh, my personal favorite is kaboomer. Kaboomer. Excuse me. That's that's better. Yeah. Maybe that's what's being. Yeah. Used. Isn't that, it's, it's much funnier to me. Yes. Um, so which one are I don't you? know if I have. I definitely watch dynamite more, but that's really just a function of it being on Wednesday night as a where I'm much more likely to be home than Saturday. So you're anti-punk. I think, yeah, it's, it's I can't watch CM Punk, so I have to. I'm solidly a kaboomer. Okay. Um, news this week that um, All In, which, which as we know is happening August 27th in Wembley Stadium, London. Uh, and then one week later, All Out in Chicago. I'm planning on going to the United Center September 3rd. We've got back-to-back pay-per-views on back-to-back weekends. Um, on Monday, on Monday, as of Monday, we didn't know, I think at all, what the distribution plan was for All In at that time. On Monday, I... Uh, got an answer from a, a DirecTV spokesperson who confirmed to me that All In would be available on pay-per-view on DirecTV, which is the biggest satellite carrier in the United States. Um, and then later, I got a confirmation from In Demand, which is the biggest cable pay-per-view provider in the United States. I'm almost positive. Uh, they, they confirmed that they will be carrying All In as a pay-per-view. Um, they will also be carrying all in as a pay-per-view on ppv.com and in international markets, Canada, UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand. Um, we since had confirmed by, by AEW on Wednesday on Dynamite that all in will indeed air on pay-per-view. And uh, it'll be airing on Bleacher Report in the United States digitally as well. It'll be airing on Fight internationally. So it's all the normal distribution channels here for an AEW pay-per-view is what all in it looks like it's going to be. Um, and then on Thursday... Uh, Think about this in the context of of AEW, um, of, of the speculation that All In might be on a streaming platform, might you know be for free or you know part of your monthly subscription for Max uh, in the United States, so that you don't have to uh, you know pay fifty dollars for this pay per view, which is what what the price point is going to be on pay per view. Uh, WBD CEO David Zaslav, or as Tony Khan calls him, Mister Zaslav, uh, he said in his opening remarks on WBD's earning earnings report again on Thursday that quote Max now has the full capability to deliver live programming. We'll have more to say about that soon, end quote. So this is this is meaningful in the context that, you know, I've heard that maybe Max just isn't ready to do a live broadcast, even though, yes, I know HBO Max uh, broadcast some live soccer games, maybe something about the infrastructure uh, changed once those uh, services, HBO Max and Discovery were merged. Um, but there you have David Zaslaw saying this past Thursday, it has the capacity, it has the capability to do it. Um, 
but still, All In is not going to be a pay-per-view. Um, All Out is, a, is traditionally always been a pay-per-view. I don't see why it would be anything else. Um, and I asked uh, In Demand, I asked all these carriers, but In Demand did, did get back to me and give me an answer about the notion of whether or not this is going to be a bundle offering with All In and All Out together. Maybe you could buy it for, I don't know, maybe $80 uh, instead of spending $100, and then you commit to buying both. So is there going to be a bundle offering for both of these pay-per-views because they're happening on back-to-back weekends uh, in demand said, no, there's no plans for that right now. Um, so I doubt there's going to be any bundle here. I doubt there's going to be any uh, streaming thing here beyond pay-per-view streaming. And if you want to watch both of these, you got to pay $50 on back-to-back weekends. If you want to watch it legally. So, um, I think economically speaking, AEW in the short term will, you know, will probably make, if, if nothing else, will make more money this way. Um, pay-per-view has proven to be pretty demand inelastic. Uh, as long as you charge somewhere in the realm of a realistic, well, some, somewhere in the realm of a reasonable uh, pay-per-view price, you're going to have about the same number of sales. Uh, the change in price does not cause a huge difference in the change in the volume of sales is what the lesson of pay-per-view has been and in part what the lesson of w network has been um now i think there is something to preserving great relationships with your fans and building a loyal fan base and making sure that people feel trust trustful when, when they think about aew uh and doing something like not asking people to pay 50 dollars on consecutive weekends giving them some sort of deal along those lines would be helpful I don't know if that's possible with pay-per-view. I don't know if the infrastructure exists to, to allow people to make a two-for-one purchase like that. Um, but doing something would, would be nice. Um, I imagine scheduling had a lot to do with this. Maybe this is the only time that Wembley would be available or some similar stadium would be available. And it just happened to be the week before they traditionally always have to do their all-out pay-per-view on, on Labor Day. Um, so thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean... And, and, and why did I have to break this? Why wasn't this disclosed by by AEW sooner. Yeah, I mean, right when they first announced the Wembley Stadium show, it was really notable that they didn't announce, is this a pay-per-view? You know, wh- what was this? Was it going to be uh, something, their debut on HBO Max? Was it going to be, I thought it might potentially be like something that aired on TBS or TNT. Um, and, it, you know, the end result is that it's just a, a, a standalone pay-per-view event. Um, it's a really interesting idea and it's because we basically we barely we only have a few matches for all in we have nothing for all out and it would seem likely that we're probably unlikely to get many matches for all outs um that are going to be uh announced before the all in show so we're going to talk about all out is going to have like a one week build uh, the the dynamite and the collision and the rampage, you know, in that week in between all in and all out is going to have to be some pretty important television because they got to build an entire pay per view based on just those three episodes of television. Obviously, I think all yeah, there's some real interesting like creative opportunities to have two pay per views back to back as far as like the results of one pay per view spilling into another pay per view and asking fans to buy pay fifty dollars again like. The goal is, I'm assuming, going to be have fans pay $50, they buy All In. All In is this great, compelling product, and you have all this stuff that's spilling into All In that fans who watch All In are going to be like, oh, we got to need to watch All Out. We need to pay the $50 next week to see what happens. 
um, it would be really interesting to see like how Tony fits a creative vision into selling a pay-per-view one week after another one. Um, very much this Tuesday in Texas style vibe, um, yes. which famously was not a success from a business perspective. But, um, yeah. It's interesting um, what's going to happen here. When we talked about this last week, um, I, I, I got some pushback. We were talking about how um, whether or not it's a big deal that this that the pay-per-view, that all-ins distribution had not been announced yet to fans. Uh, is it going to be a pay-per-view? Is it going to be on Max? Is it going to be on traditional TV? Uh, a week ago when, when we were doing this program, fans didn't know. Um, and you know, you could say that, look, the vast majority of pay-per-view buys that happen are happening in the final hours of you know, the final hours before the pay-per-view happens. So does that really matter that we're not telling anybody we could, we could wait until, you know, the last week, maybe does it really matter that people don't know how to buy this, what the price is going to be and all that. Is that a big issue? I don't think so. I think the, the vast majority of fans that would buy a pay-per-view are fine now, knowing that it's a pay-per-view. I don't think that they are, concerned about it. I think a lot of fans were hoping it was going to be on HBO max just because it would be less expensive an option. And for many people who already subscribe to HBO max, they wouldn't have to buy anything at all. So I think that's what a lot of fans were hoping for. Just financially, it'd be easier for them. Um, but I think the average typical AW fan that's interested in buying a pay-per-view, uh, they weren't really concerned that they didn't know how to watch it until probably a week before would be when they'd start preparing paying attention to it. A lot of them, people probably just assumed it was going to be a pay-per-view all the time and didn't even know that something hadn't been announced yet for it. Yeah. Um, I, I, is, is the lack of an announcement. I, I agree that like in a vacuum, it's not that big of a deal. And I, I, I guess trying to think about all people in all situations here on one hand, I mean, we're talking about asking somebody to buy to pay $50 on one weekend and on the next, and not everybody's got, you know, an extra $50 laying around to, oh, yeah, of course they can spend it. Um, and I think there's a, 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 a small issue to thinking about how am I going to make this transaction? Um, not as big, though. Um, and not as big as the notion that there were no matches announced for it at the time, even though it was at that time four weeks out. Um but is this another iteration in in the story that you know AW doesn't always really communicate clearly with their fans, and that's that's not good for their brand. If they communicated more clearly and more effectively with with their fans, they would have even better relationships with their fans. I think it's more of like a lack of marketing uh, in this case of being able to hype and promote an event like a month or two in advance, which is how WWE would have handled this WWE. They would let you know exactly how to watch it. I guess there wouldn't be any ambiguity with WWE. You know, it would be on, um, an AEW I think is just doesn't have that marketing approach. Um, and I would think they probably should. I think it would be beneficial to them, especially when it's in terms of advertising a truly historic event. I'm glad that Tony, did the announcement on Wednesday and said, well, maybe think is hyperbolic of him, but that's what I would want to see. I want them to present this event as being this hugely historic event that you absolutely have to see. If you have any interest, you're, you're, ta- you're talking about the tagline. You cut out for a moment. You, you're talking um, about the tagline. I do the think that there's a general history. Is that right? 
it's, it's Jesse's connection is failing us. Um, okay. Well, while that's happening, what have we got next? I can tell you that the attendance, the latest attendance from WrestleTix, uh, as I bring up the WrestleTix sheet here, um, the latest attendance. Oh, I'm by myself now. Okay. Bear with me as I bring up the WrestleTix sheet here and look at the AEW numbers and look at what the, the latest tickets distributed. And there's an estimated paid out there too that I can look up. So for August 27th, all in is currently in the sheet. It says 78,000. Oh, here's Jesse back. 78,393 is the current tickets distributed. But what, what was what was the point you were making, Jesse, before you cut out? You're talking about the tagline, right? I was just saying, like, I'm glad that Tony used the terms, called it, this is the biggest event in wrestling history, which might sound hyperbolic, but at least it sells the idea that this event is a historic event that anyone that has any interest in professional wrestling is going to want to see. Um, I think, but I think in general, there's a, I think in general, there's a, a fear or a concern, and this might be more on the creative end, um, but people are uh, worried, concerned that AW is disorganized and not having how you're going to watch this pay-per-view event. Well, now we know it's a pay-per-view event, but how people are going to be able to watch all in, uh, in advance is like another sign that, Oh, they're disorganized backstage. Tony doesn't know what he's doing. All of these, whatever your biggest fears are of AEW, this is like a con- somewhat of a confirmation that things aren't as smooth as you'd like them to be. And I think that leads to a lot more kind of concern, uh, about the AEW company in general and not just related to announcing this, how you're going to be able to watch this event. Do you not think that there's, I guess I, I think that there's communication issues with their fans and that there seems to be compulsory secrecy around some issues with AEW that has led to a mild deterioration in their brand over the last year and a half or so. And it starts out, I would say it starts out with the Cody leaving AEW story, which was not that big of a, a you know, a, a transgression against their, their, their branding. The, besides the fact that it was one of the EVPs le- leaving the secrecy is what I'm talking about around that story. Again, not that big of a deal, but then it becomes a pattern. The secrecy around MJF leaving uh, the secrecy around what, what happened with CM Punk and the fight. Um, it's some other things along those lines, along, you know, the secrecy around, you know, you know, injuries and things like that. And just, just things that, uh, that Tony will not comment about. Um, and, and the way that Tony sometimes come up, comes off in interviews as being evasive. Yeah. I mean, I, this, yeah, I understand what you're saying uh, to me, this, the, the paper, how you're going to be able to watch all in is more of a marketing issue in terms of communicating that to your audience, as opposed to, a transparency information issue um, that maybe is driving a divide between the fans and management. You are on mute, sir. Uh, now I'm not on mute, right? Uh, okay, so the, the latest accounts, uh, 78,393 is the tickets distributed account, latest from WrestleTix. Estimated paid is now at just under 73,000. 72,992 is the latest, just under 73. Uh, so that would put it at, I've just put in uh, variable X's here, but that still puts it at under the WrestleMania 23 event at good old Ford Field. Uh, so it'll, it'll, we got, you know, three weeks, weeks or so to go um, could surpass probably will surpass uh, the number that we have here uh, on the chart for Ford field. And I guess I, I want to momentarily here have a conversation about 
what does attendance mean? Like, I feel like attendance is maybe a troubling word and that we should get away from being so vague. I think it's a fairly vague word because attendance, you could construe it. And I think misleadingly construe it to mean, you know, if we're talking about WrestleMania 32 in Arlington, 101,763 attendees. There were, you know, ticket takers and ushers by Vince McMahon's own admission that were included in that number. Who knows what else? Um, when it comes to uh, WrestleMania 3, you know, the 93,179. Are you hearing this in the background? There's some sort of tour happening here. Are you learning some valuable information about the uh, building? No, but is it, is it coming coming through my audio? I can hear anyway. someone vaguely talking in the background, okay. but I can't make anything okay. out. It sounds fine. Good. Um, so... And I, I think there's there's that vague attendance, the announced number, whatever that is, some some weird formula to 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 uh, express this specious number that people could could believe, and as part of really just a marketing message, I think. Um, or we could talk about tickets sold, which is the appropriate measure of what we're what what, what our conversations are driving towards, right? Which is how popular is this? How successful is this with consumers? That's measured. By tickets sold, um, so that's that's that, that's my goal as as we approach a discourse crisis coming up later this August surrounding the notion of what was the most attended show in wrestling history is that there's a big difference and there's a lot of vagueness around the word attendance and the the thing that we are actually interested in is is the number of tickets sold. You can talk about tickets distributed, which WrestleTix has done a great job of of you know, calculating and determining that's not tickets sold, but we get a pretty good impression about what tickets sold is from, from WrestleTix calculations. So that's, that's my thought on it. I don't know if you have any thoughts along those lines. But. Yeah. Especially if you accept that all comps for wrestling events, certainly wrestling events run by the same company are relatively the same each for yeah. each events. It might vary market to market, but it allow, allows that dis- ticket distributed number, even if it's inflated by comps to a degree, at least we have variables to compare it with, um, which I think is important. I think the Wembley Stadium show, they have sold more tickets kind of in this dry period between when they first announced the show and tickets went on sale to before they've kind of really ramped up the promotion for the show by announcing matches. They've sold a lot more tickets than I thought they were going to do. Um, I thought it would be, they'd sell a lot of tickets the first week or so is on sale, then be flat, then pick up, you know, as we got closer to the event and the hype started to build for it, but they've steadily moved tickets for the last few months and it has gotten them to, uh, you know, this huge, huge audience that is going to be basically unmatched by pretty much any other event in wrestling history. Yeah. It's, 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 it's an incredible achievement for a company like AEW. I mean, it really is. And we've kind of, I feel like our, you know, WWE runs multiple stadium shows a year. So now it's like, will they ever be able to run a stadium show again that's this successful? And it's like, can we just stop and examine that this company is on the verge of perhaps the biggest wrestling show of all time from a tennis perspective? It's, they have no business being in that ballpark and, and they are. And a lot of that is waiting this long to go into the UK market and the UK market and the London market being starved for big events, although they're being, you know, better served the last year or so. Um, 
but it really is an unbelievable achievement for for AEW uh, and just the wrestling industry in general. So that we have another company that's capable of putting on the scale of an event. So just to, to look at the most recent WWE and AEW uh, PLEs slash pay per views over the last year to date, um, we have. I got some information. There's new information from Polestar. Uh, I have a report on this on the Patreon. Uh, so we have some new information from Polestar, and some of this information I collected from public records requests. Uh, some of it I got both, and they, they're exactly the same numbers as in the case of Backlash. Um, so to look at the total attendees across all these, these PLEs uh, year-to-date, um, we don't have any independent, what I would call independent data for Forbidden Door, at least not yet. Um, we don't have any independent data for the uh, the Night of Champions event in Saudi Arabia, uh, which I believe announced is 13,000. Um, but we got Polestar data surrounding Money in the Bank. Uh, the two-day run, both days, we have data for from Polestar for the Money in the Bank event in London at the O2 Arena and for the SmackDown on the night before. Uh, paid ticket sales for Money in the Bank, 15,500. Uh, and then on the SmackDown, uh, I have it here in the report, uh, paid attendance for the, the London the night before was another 15,255. So the gate for this arena event was for uh, Money in the Bank was, where is it? $3.3 million. $3.3 million for an arena event. Uh, Paul Levesque at the time called it the highest grossing arena event, which I take to mean non-stadium event in WWE history. Uh, that would be not adjusting for inflation. Uh, so I've run the numbers that I'm aware of that we have records for through through the inflation calculator. And this looks to be Money in the Bank this year in London, the fourth highest non-stadium gate in WWE history. Fourth highest. Um, so it's only behind, by my calculations, WrestleMania 5 in Atlantic City, which comes out to just under $4 million in today's dollars, uh, $1.6 million at the time. Uh, that's number one. Number two is WrestleMania 20 at Madison Square Garden, which was $2.4 million at the time. Comes out to about 3.9 now. WrestleMania 22 in Chicago, uh, which is $2.5 million, which adjusts down to uh, adjusts up to $3.8 million uh, in today's dollars. Uh, so this year's Money in the Bank was very close to what what's the number four event, which is WrestleMania 21 in Los Angeles, which did about $3.3 million in today's dollars. And we don't have great precision there down to the dollar for the WrestleMania in Los Angeles uh, for, was that, WrestleMania 21. So I can't tell you with great precision whether or not it's WrestleMania 21 that had the higher gate adjust for inflation or, or this year's Money in the Bank. Um, but if you... I mean, think about the, the all the other events are and we're talking about WrestleMania gates here. Um, it's all the biggest arena WrestleMania gates that there are is what this this show is in the neighborhood of. And looking through the Polestar data, you really see how lucrative the London market has been for them. Um, there's a 2008 SmackDown uh, that did an over. I think it's a, something like a one point. Do I have it here? It, it did. Let's see. It did about 794 thousand pounds which i don't know what that is in u.s dollars but for a lot of years they've been drawing big gates in london so it makes a lot of sense that they were able to do this here um if you combine the two-day run uh over five million dollars in u.s dollars uh, across this two-day run they did an additional 1.8 million dollars just for the smackdown so um 
to put it in context of AEW, we, you know, we talk about how big of a deal it is when AEW does a million dollar gate. They've done a handful of them in their history. Uh, they're going to do a multi-million dollar gate for, for all in sure. Uh, but we're talking about a, a $1.8 million gate for a SmackDown. And again, a $3 million gate, $3.3 million gate for money in the bank. So, I don't know, a lot of money. Uh, and, uh, I don't know if you saw this. We've got the death before dishonor is numbers. It, is it fair oh, to compare AEW to? Is it fair? Is, um, is it fair to compare AEW to WWE? W- w- in, in in what sense? They're WWE, which is companies. doing historically strong, WWE is doing historically strong business, and I think the success of AEW is downplayed because WWE has been so successful, especially over the past year. Yes, but also the trajectory of two companies are going in opposite directions in that. With and besides this one-off, AEW, this great story around All In, where you're drawing, you're going to draw well over seventy thousand people to the building, probably well over seventy thousand tickets sold. Um, this is a great story for AEW. Uh, the the TV ratings and the attendance trends not so positive though. The TV ratings and attendance trends for WWE, and I'm talking their averages over months and quarters, is is going very positively. Um, is it fair to compare them? Right, but my yeah. point is, I don't know. They're both rust companies. Well, <laughs> they both sell 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 yeah, tickets. Yeah, we're obviously going to compare they them. They do TV ratings. They're both wrestling companies, but I think that that like the success that AEW has, like AEW has a lot more in common with Impact and MLW and the NWA, uh, like as a startup wrestling entity, mm-hmm. from an institutional perspective, from a um, a, a, a cat like a introducing the product to fans perspective than it does with WWE, which has generations of fans and things like that. And I think WWE's strong success uh, forces to kind of look at, Oh, AEW is, is really lagging behind. Oh, AEW only has a few million dollar gates and WWE has money in the bank. They did 3.3 million dollar gates. And it's like, AEW has million dollar gates. That's insane. It's insane to look at where wrestling was like four or five years ago and to what another company is able to do now. What wrestling was like in this country outside of WWE before AEW and what AEW is able to do now is insane. But I do think because we're now in this, you know, this, this, this competition between the two of them that we're losing sight. And I think how successful AEW has been because they're not as successful as WWE. And I don't know how fair it is to consistently compare the two in the sense of, there, oh, there are people who said it's not fair to compare WWE AEW's and AEW when, this, when, but when the comparisons were not favorable to, to WWE. Like, of course there are. Yes, I can. Okay. Um, I guess I, I understand the notion that, hey, look, if, if WWE didn't exist or if, I don't know, if, if, if WWE wasn't out there, there wouldn't be, you know, it, there wouldn't be that high high mark to compare AEW against. Um, I would... I would say AW has been very successful. It has managed to sell thousands of tickets every week and now thousands of tickets twice a week. Uh, it has managed to get a roughly $44 million average annual TV deal, um, which is the biggest TV deal any non W wrestling company has ever gotten. It'll probably get a multiple. It's doing what the TV ratings are doing well enough that it'll probably get a multiple, uh, multiple X increase in the next TV deal. Um, and it's been quite successful. Um, the trajectory of, of the companies, I think, is especially relevant. If we're talking about, you know, what's what's happening in, in, in the zeitgeist of wrestling, what's happening with wrestling fans, uh, 
which company are they embracing more? Which company are they embracing less over the last, let's say, year or so? And the answer to that question is, is they're embracing W more and they're embracing AEW not dramatically less, not going to kill their business less, but a little less. I mean, I'm looking at the the tickets distributed, at, you know, estimates for Dynamite. It's down 19% versus last year. Uh, TV ratings are down to a similar extent. And when you look at WWE, all, all the deltas are positive. I don't know if I've stunned Jesse into silence here. <laughs> no, I only, I, I honestly, I only heard like, I feel like I only heard like a third of that because I'm lagging behind for some reason. Okay. Um, okay. Like, I understand the point of comparing, but I, I, I just think, I think, my point is, is that I think, AW is a hugely successful company. And I think sometimes that's lost because it's constantly being compared to WWE, which is a significantly more successful company. And I think we sometimes lose sight of that. And there's, there's sure there's a tremendous advantage that, that W has for being a, a brand that has existed for many decades uh, more. You could say, I don't know when you want to say, say the brand truly began, but it's, it's existed for since at least the eighties and it's built up a tremendous legacy and a tremendous awareness that, puts it at a tremendous advantage um and it's got a lot more well you could say well look shad's uh got more money than w does and it's true but um in terms of the money that's allocated to them at the moment yeah w has a lot more resources um okay i think that's all the slides i have did you have anything else to add jesse okay Okay. Uh, just a reminder that this is our once per month free edition of WrestleNomics Radio. You can subscribe at patreon.com slash WrestleNomics to listen to WrestleNomics Radio each and every week. Uh, and you can also, once you, when you subscribe, you get access to my TV ratings reports, my news updates, the viewership spreadsheet with thousands and thousands of TV ratings data points, as well as monthly reports that I put out on things like YouTube views, estimates, yes, estimates of, of merchandise whose, uh, whose items are the most highly ranked. Google Trends reports, match counts, and the slides to this very podcast. Uh, you get the video and the audio version of this podcast every Sunday if you are a subscriber. So I think uh, Jesse's having having audio issues and has left us, but for uh, for now we will be back uh, on Sunday for subscribers, and we will be back. I will be back with John Pollock on Wednesday as we talk to David Bixenspan about Dark Side of the Ring uh, and other topics as well. Uh, that it, that. Pollock and Thurston podcast is free for everybody in their WrestleNomics podcast feed and on the post-wrestling podcast feed, as well as our respective YouTube channels. So thanks for joining me from the Guardian Building, the historic Guardian Billion Building in Detroit, Michigan. I hope you enjoyed the tour, and uh, talk to you next time. Thanks for listening.